Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, episode 56. This week, it's Boss Monster versus Munchkin. We'll also be talking about Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition, new accessories from Munchkin and Boss Monster, Reiner Knizia's Amon Ray, epic P versus P fantasy in our Kicking the Habit segment, and we'll have some hosts kind of pop in and out throughout the podcast. So stick around as long as you can, and... Let's get started. You're listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast about board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Daniel. Hey, Anthony, Daniel's back. All right. Anthony? Oh, oh, come on, guys. Anthony, where are you, man? We got Daniel back. Uh, we seem to be playing as a two-player game recently. <laughs> well, we have Daniel back, so now if we could just hold on to the other guys and get these guys back, we'll be up to full strength. But it looks like we do have Daniel back, at least in some sort of physical form. So uh, unless this is some hologram or spell casting daniel's back and hopefully by the next podcast we'll have all four guys back yeah let's hope well i I know that drew is somewhere out there in the wilderness yodeling to all the yetis out there about the upcoming board game so he will be back next week anthony should be back next week daniel's back so we'll have a full crew for you fingers crossed next week (laughs) thank you for bearing with us during this time and we're getting back on our feet, but each and every week we put out a podcast, guys. And thankfully we have you listening, so you're one one of the members of the podcast team, and we're glad to have you here. So this week's episode is another special episode because they're all super special, because they're all suburbia. But let's not go back there. So this week we're talking about Munchkin versus Boss Monster, the Battle of the Dungeon Crawls. One is 8-bit and one is cartoony. Which one will reign supreme at the end? We'll find out. So with that being said, let's get on to Shout It From The Tabletop. Shout It From The Tabletops. <laughs> Sir, you're going to need to get down from there. All right. So we're shouting from the tabletop. And once again, we don't have Drew's whimsical pipes. But nonetheless, Daniel and I are here to give you some of the news and updates and things that are going on. With everything in the board gamer realm. Daniel, you had some information as far as what D&D is up to these days? Yeah, I mean, the, the thing that's really drawn my attention recently is D&D has put out a feedback survey for their new edition, for 5th edition. Uh, and it's indication of a continuing theme of them really wanting to remain in touch with their fan base and really get continual feedback uh, about what fans want to see. Uh, you know, this game began with a massive playtest and a massive sort of crowdsourcing effort. So it's nice to see that they're keeping that up now that the game has launched and they've sold copies, that they're still interested in what people have to say. Uh, So if you're interested in giving them feedback, if you've played the 5th edition, uh, you can find a link to the survey on their Facebook page. And I suggest you stop on over there and give them feedback. Help them make the best game they can. Yeah, I think what's really interesting about Dungeons & Dragons is even if you're not a a regular player, so much of what goes on in the the D&D affects everything else. I mean, look at what we're talking about today. Boss Monsters versus Munchkin. 
so much, if not everything that is in those games, is influenced by Dungeons & Dragons. And so many other games, so many popular culture, so many movies, television, everything that we do is influenced by this core game that really set up the standards for the industry. So if you're a longtime fan of D&D, get involved. Even if you're not currently up to date or going to be playing the 5th edition, or if you're a casual fan or you have not as of yet got involved in Dungeons & Dragons, this is a good time to let people know what you're looking for and what would get you involved into it. Because it is a, I don't know, how would you say it? One of the major gamer experiences that everyone should have, right? When you say, yeah, I mean, it's it's it is the the gaming canon, right? Yeah. It's every game that came up for years was just D and D with new skin, or every role playing game at least, right? They determined the set of uh, spell schools. They set out the elemental aspects of uh, spell damage. They're the ones who did the whole, hey, you drop a spell when you get hit. They're the ones that made all of the archetypes that you see carry through in games like Gauntlet, for instance. Right? You've got the big strong warrior. You've got the wizard. You've got the elf. The he, always needs, he always needs food for some reason. Badly. 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 <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's a, a massively important game. It is probably the single most important board game culturally anyway of sure uh, of recent history if not for its role in the public imagination for its role in inspiring most of modern video games and the like yeah so if you have not played any type of dungeon and dragon like game previously i would highly recommend getting involved in the fifth edition Try it out. Play through one, you know, short, quick kind of campaign, just so you can say that you did. And I think you'll gain something out of it that will benefit your board gaming experience to come. To say, oh, I know where they got that because I play Dungeons and Dragons, and I get, I get the sense of where they're going with it. I've played a lot of versions of D and D and other role playing games that aren't from the same universe or with the same design. You know, I played some of the Apocalypse World games and that sort of thing. And I will say that D and D five E is very smooth and relatively easy to learn. They removed a lot of the barrier to entries. When we were playing recently, I was playing with some friends, and every time we needed to look up a rule, we're like, oh, I remember how complicated this used to be, and we'd open the paper, and, oh, oh, no, it's just not a thing. (laughs) There's just, you don't do anything special here. Okay, we're done. All right, then. So you'll find that a lot of the things that made playing D&D in the past kind of a chore are out of the way, but they kept the good parts, I think. I think it's really a remarkably uh, good edition. Yeah, and I really like the fact that they're reaching out to gamers, both new and old, and asking for their input here. Um, Bravo to them for this. Absolutely. Another big piece of news, especially Board Gamers Anonymous news, is our attendance of the four major guys, fingers crossed once again, (laughs) at Dreamation 2015. Now, this is a very popular board game convention. It'll be at the Morristown Hyatt Convention Center in Morristown, New Jersey. Now, there's going to be a large number of events, and it's not just board gaming. There'll be anime programming throughout the weekend, and Daniel and I are really hardcore about that, so that's a good thing. They'll also have um, over 40 LARPs from groups including Phoenix Outlaw Productions, Cool Like Snakes, and Endemicles Thread Development. So there is a number of different things to kind of get involved with, and of course, snacks, fun, gamers, and things to that nature. There's also going to be a number of games that are going to be played throughout the day. Board games such as Dominion, Seven Wonders, Carcassonne, Alhambra, video games on giant LCD screens, collectible gaming, Magic the Gathering, of course, because you can't really have a gaming convention without Magic somewhere there. 
There'll be live game shows, including Gamers Jeopardy and Gamers Family Feud. So a lot of different events and activities to kind of get involved in. If you're going to be in the New Jersey area or you're outside the area, come on in. It's a multiple-day convention, Thursday, February 19th through Sunday, February 22nd, 2015. So check it out. Email us. Get to us in some way. Facebook, Twitter, Board Gamers, Anonymous Guild, our webpage, and let us know that you're going to be there So, because we would love to play games with you. That would be an awesome opportunity. Yeah, this is going to be my first time going to a gaming convention, so I'm excited to see what it's like. Uh, it's a little bit intimidating, but we'll see how it goes. Yeah, and the first time as, as a team heading down there, the Board Gamers Anonymous crew. So you get to meet all of us. We'll play games, and uh, we'll you know have a good time. And now, our Acquisition Disorders. Acquisition Disorders? That's crazy! Only needs the base game, nothing else but the base game. The base game and the expansion, see? Nothing else. Just the base game and the expansion and the promos. The base game, the expansion, and the promos, and of course, the upgraded components. Why wouldn't you have the upgraded components? So the base game, the expansion, the promos, and the upgraded components. See? That's not too much, but maybe, I don't know, maybe you might need the expansion. As you guys can probably tell, I've become a bit obsessed with D&D 5th Edition, and so now I'm looking for some accessories to throw in there. Now, I already have my dice because I've been doing this for a while. In fact, I already have like four sets of dice, and one of them's a massive stainless steel D20 that a friend gave me. Wow. Uh, which is awesome. I use that for the uh, moments where we might lose the entire party as a DM. That's the TPK die. That's the, <laughs> all right, guys, big things are happening. Look out. Or do you just yeah. take that die and you throw it at the monster and probably kills them? <laughs> there you go. Um, so I'm looking for some good accessories, and I'm... The things I really want right now are a good DM's, uh, and the things I really want right now are a good DM's shield. Uh, sort of, you know, hide what I'm working on behind there and have some good references. And I know that D and D has put out uh, one of these quite recently, but I'm not sure how fond I am of it. The illustration on it seems really lackluster, which is a kind of a superficial thing to be bothered by, but. I want there to be pretty art, you know? If I'm going to have this wall between me and my players, I want it to be at least an attractive wall. And the one that they've got right now is this sort of generic red dragon. I know it's supposed to be someone special. It just doesn't look very special to me, especially when you compare it to the art and all the rule books, which is really very nice. And I've heard of several complaints that it doesn't really contain the information that's most important on the inside of the screen. I know that Gale Force 9 has their own version out right now, their own DM screen, but it looks like it's specified for the Tyranny of Dragons campaign, and I want something more general. I've seen a few people put out their own sort of templates for this, and these all look great, but on the other hand, you end up with something you printed off your computer, which isn't as high quality, and you don't get cool art. So I don't know if you guys know of any particularly good D&D DM screens for 5th edition. If you do, let me know. Right now, I'm... Uh, I'm open to buying, but nothing is catching my eye. Uh, the other thing I've been looking at a lot is spellbook cards. These little cards that have what spells do and their effects written on them so you don't have to reference the book at least as much. As far as I understand, Gale Force 9 has the only set of these out for 5th edition so far. If I'm wrong about that, please correct me because I'd like to look at the competitors. Um, they look like they're pretty good, but they are, there are points where they'll tell you to do things like, hey, reference the rulebook. You know, they won't be able to have the full text of the spell. And for some spells, that makes a lot of sense. But you can't help but wonder if better formatting, spending less space on some of the less important stuff that's on the cards, could have gotten more of the vital information on it. So that's another thing I'm on the edge of buying. 
but I do want to look around a little bit more before I settle down. So what what's the importance of these two things in a game for someone who either hasn't played before or hasn't been a DM before? Yeah, uh, great question. So the DM screen, one thing it does is give the DM privacy, right? So you have your notes hidden, and it's important to have that because you want to surprise your players. You don't want to surprise them in a mean way necessarily, but <laughs> they shouldn't know everything that's about to happen because that's just not realistic, right? You don't know everything that's about to happen, especially if you're in a dungeon that's been sealed for a thousand years, you shouldn't be knowing what's right behind door number one. So, so, it's, so it's literally a giant cardboard trifold or quadfold mm-hmm. kind of board, and then on one side you could hide on your, no- your notes on one side, and then there's inside there's printed yeah. information there? And so the second part of it is, on top of giving you privacy, it'll give you a quick reference of essential information. Uh, usually it's going to be things like what kind of rolls and saves are made when what ways, right? what abilities use what scores, that sort of thing. Uh, and then you'll oftentimes have things like randomizing opponents if you do need to do that. Uh, it's, it's a very valuable device, one, because you get that distance, and two, because you have that reference set there. But if the reference set isn't complete, that kind of... Hmm nullifies the advantage of having the screen in the first place. I mean, it'll still have a role, but just not as great. And makes some wasted space and puts unnecessary distance between the DM and the player, which is sometimes very irritating, especially if you're playing at a smaller table. tends to take up a bit of space. Yeah, and like you said, the artwork on the other side that the players see is, is important because it kind of sets the stage a little bit. It does. It gives a feeling of the uh, the tone of the game. If you just have... The one that they've got right now looks like a few guys fighting a dragon, which is, you know, I guess fine, D&D and all that. But it's not quite as epic, truly epic, as one would like it to be. I was thinking something like they've got this lich on the cover of the DM's Guide, and I'd like to see the lich commanding an army of undead as they march across the field, surrounding an entrenched group of adventurers with the cleric holding his holy symbol high, undead disintegrating before the beams of his light, that sort of thing. I'd like to see a truly substantial scene going on there. Something that looks like the world could hang in the balance. And I just don't get that feeling from their screen. And then the other part you were talking about? The other part is that there's not as great information on the inside as one would help. There is stuff about the conditions and randomizing NPCs, the sort of very, very bare-bone essentials, but there is information missing as well. And then as for the cards, the spell cards, spells tend to be a pretty complicated part of any game. In fact, it's usually good advice to tell new players to stick to non-spell casting classes if they're the kind of person to be made wary by complexity. Uh, Because spells require you have essentially a copy of the player's handbook in front of you to flip through really quick and see what they can do. Some classes, less so warlocks and other classes that tend to have pretty fixed spell lists, you can memorize what they do eventually. But classes like the cleric or the wizard who can prepare from a large pool of spells every day that's too much to memorize so the spell cards are quick reference sheets that tell you what these spells do and you can pull out the ones you've got prepared for that day and have them ready to go so you can know what every single spell in your arsenal does right off the bat it's a way to save a lot of time and flipping back and forth and forth and referencing and there's always that terrible moment when a player didn't realize that a spell they cast had you know, X, Y, Z limitation or X, Y, or Z benefit uh, until after the battle. And like, oh, actually, that shouldn't have worked at all. Mm. Um, or you should have won that in the first round and moved on. Yeah. Uh, so it's like, kind of like a quick reference, guys. Like in a board game, you get like, like a little card. But this gives you like literally everything that you could have. 
Yeah, and that's the ideal. Now, some of the spells are so long you could never fit them on a single card, right? Some of the spells have so many various special effects. So they did cut down on that in 5th edition. And on top of that, from what I understand, the formatting on the ones that are out from Gale Force 9 wasn't ideal in a lot of ways. They used maybe a little bit too big a font for certain pieces of information. So there is places where the information just runs over and they say, hey, read the book. Um, <laughs> just read the book, man. <laughs> yeah. it, and they usually give you like the page number, which is good. nice. right? Yeah. That makes it a quicker process. So it's still an improvement over not having them. Sure. It's just not as good as it could have been. Well, that's good. Yeah. At least it gives you something for people who are getting into D&D for the first time. And, you know, as somebody who plays it, I like to have all the little things. It's nice to have all the little kind of, you know, accessories that kind of go along with your character. Yeah, and it just makes it easier. Even if you're a, you know, practiced player, right? Even if you've been doing this for years and years and years, it is still easier to just have this quick little deck to shuffle through than to have to keep flipping back and forth in the spell book. Very cool. So those are my acquisition disorders. How about you, Chris? Well, you know, keeping with the episode, I have two acquisition disorders that I'm really looking forward to. First is the Munchkin comic book that's coming out. Now, by the time you hear this podcast, the book is already out, and hopefully you're enjoying this. Now, as any good board gamer, you got to be a comic book fan on some level. And to have a board game get a legitimate comic book release of high quality is something that you don't see every day. Now, you do have your Dungeons & Dragons comic books out there, and you have your IPs out there. But to see a board game have you know a comic book is kind of a fun you know entry to some other areas and maybe bring some new people back into the board gaming area so munchkin the boombox number one and they actually have two different covers for this this is actually kind of exploring and expanding upon the munchkin universe and it has a number of different small stories so the first story is what is a munchkin so once again if you're not a Dungeon Dragon player, you don't know what a Munchkin is. And a Munchkin tends to be, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, the character in Dungeons and Dragons who is kind of just there for the loot and more than willing to stab their fellow adventurers in the back in order to get all that loot. So, you know, it's not a highly lawful kind of character, but nonetheless, unfortunately, you're probably going to have a Munchkin character in your team a little bit who just like, hey, that looks like a really cool sword. I really like to have that sword. Um, you guys go fight that monster. I'll be over here and I'll, I'll keep an eye on the sword. And they grab the sword, they run the other way. So, a little entrance into what a munchkin is. And it kind of, in a humorous way, and the artwork is very good in this comic book. It's done by a number of different artists. In the first one, what is a munchkin? It's basically giving you the idea of don't worry too much about the D&D canon so much. Get your idea of what a munchkin is because we don't want to give you so much backstory because, let's be honest, it's all about the loot. Now, the other stories are also interesting, too, but the first one kind of gives you a feeling into what Munchkin's about. And then it gives you some interest into another story called Humans Got No Class, talking about the different classes and kind of giving you a little intro into that kind of mechanic. The third is Ready for Anything. So, once again, you're getting some idea of the different equipment that kind of goes into the game and the characters that kind of play out. And then, you know... If you've kind of gotten that far into it and you've really enjoyed the stories, there's going to be a final story, and it's kind of a one-page bit by the our awesome Munchkin artist, John Kovalik, who's going to give you some 
you know, a kind of culmination of the Munchkin universe into one. I really don't want to give away too much about the book because it's something where you really should experience the artwork and the humor. And because it's if it's like a trailer, if I give you all the good jokes, there's really no reason to read it. And I really like to see more board games have comic book tie-ins because there is such a rich lore that goes into so many different board games that it would be nice to be able to pick something up and get some more of that other than just the rule book. Yeah, and Munchkin has such a sort of charismatic property to it that it, it's bound to have some pretty funny stories behind it. It's it, it, it lends itself easily to the comic genre. It's going to be a fun, silly little adventure comic, and that sounds nice. Another acquisition disorder, speaking about our versus battle, would have to be Boss Monster's recent Kickstarter. Now, I backed this. I know Anthony backed this as well. They're actually coming out with a video game version of Boss Monster. So, as Daniel was saying earlier... You want to to take this one away? So we've got now a video game based on a card game based on video games. Arguably based on (laughs) D&D kind of archetypes. So we're we're just loading up here until we get to the point of just total genre collapse. I think so. I think that the meta is going to create an inversion and just going to suck us all into it. So... You're going to, if you've backed the Kickstarter, or even if you haven't, you'll have the opportunity to pick up this game later. It's going to be available on the iPad, on the Kindle Fire. Obviously, it's going to be available on the PC, so you'll be able to play that. Now, what's good about this is you'll be able to play you know, against the AI, and that's pretty good. So you have some solo play, and I think in part, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, I think Boss Monsters shines a little bit as kind of a solo game. You'll also be able to challenge human opponents. There'll be a pass and play. There'll be an online play through Steam, which is always a good thing because if you have a PC game, it should really be through Steam. And probably at some point, it'll be a nickel. So you should probably pick that game up for nickel. Although then you'll have to pick up 600 other games, but that's Steam. Well, you know, they could throw it in through, you know, you play, or, or the, people would love that, right? People love that. <laughs> they do. It's EA exclusive, guys. It's EA exclusive. That's Isn't that right. just wonderful? Wonderful news. <laughs> we all love EA exclusives. Ah, uh, EA. So much good and so much crippling evil. <laughs> but what's really good about this, since it is a retro type of game, if you haven't seen Boss Monster... It's a very 80s, early 90s type of video game setup. They're going to have some great audio in there, so it'll make you kind of feel like playing the original Nintendo versions there. Um, they're, going to have bought, they're going to have all the bosses. They're going to have all the rooms. They're going to have all the spells. So if you have yet to play Boss Monster and maybe not a fan of the card version of it, you'll get be able to play the full game online with the same cards, the same bosses, And it's also going to have some in-app expansions. So if for some reason you didn't get those rare promo cards in the original Kickstarter or at the other conventions, you'll actually get a chance to play this online. So it gives you an opportunity to play with everything, even if it's just a digital version. That's really cool. So that'll be out later this first quarter 2015. And then again, you never know when it comes to a Kickstarter, but it should be out this 2015. And if you did back the Kickstarter, you should be getting some of those hard copy versions of some of these video game bosses that are only going to be there. But they'll be in the card version, so if you back the Kickstarter, they're there. If you haven't, they'll probably be on a shelf at some point later. And that pretty much is our acquisition disorders. And now, at the table with BGA. All right, so let's talk about our at the table. Daniel, what have you been playing at the table? 
Surprise, surprise. <laughs> I've been playing D&D 5e. Whoa. I know I talk about it so rarely <laughs> that no one would expect it. It's like a big part of my life. I played a pretty standard uh, dungeon crawl with a low-level tiefling warlock, which was pretty fun. He was by far the most dangerous player in the group, I think. He he was also the one in most danger because he had essentially no hit points and no armor at all. <laughs> They're the best to play, though. <laughs> Just get a glass cannon out there. Yeah, and the Warlocks are really interesting because they rely on a cantrip called Eldritch Blast, which does a pretty substantial amount of damage, especially early game. But cantrips can be cast infinitely uh, without needing to rest. And then they get a bunch of these things called invocations, which can make them more and more powerful. Okay. So they can just keep piling stuff onto the Eldritch Blast. Ooh making it into quite an intimidating weapon, and I'm wondering when a warlock just doesn't use that. It doesn't seem like a thing you would stop using. So it's a basic spell that you get starting off, it does good damage to begin with, but then can kind of chain with other things that you can put onto it, and then just becoming like... It carries all this extra abilities and power. Yeah, it scales well by itself. Okay. And then scales further when you add in a couple of the invocations. And so it's one of the most popular builds for Warlocks Online, at least in my reading, is to really maximize the punch you get out of Eldritch Blast. Is it too OP, though? I don't think so. It's one thing they've been trying to do with D&D 5e is make it so that cantrips are actually significant. So these low-level spells that you can always do have some sort of zip to them. Now, the Warlock probably has the best damaging uh, cantrip in the game. The best damage cantrip in the game. Which, you know, it is the best. But the Warlock is hindered in other places by things like a short spell list. So it really is meant to be central to their class of, this is the thing we have. This is our primary weapon. This is our way of defending ourselves. Uh, as opposed to, this is one of my many overpowered tools. <laughs> So would you say he's the best around? Nobody no. could ever get him down? Is that what you're trying to say? I think Warlocks are very powerful aggressively against single targets. They're okay. not so good at AoE. For that, you still want a Sorcerer or a Mage. Okay. Uh, and, and we should clarify. So like, oh, when we're talking OP, we're talking about overpowered. Right. Sometimes that happens with certain character classes in video games and board games in D&D, mm -hmm. where either players figure out a certain meta that just works out really well and just like blows away everybody... Or sometimes it's built into the game itself, whether it's digital or copy or in your head, that the character has a lot of ability. And then the AoE area of effect, right? right? So you're talking about a character that can do a lot of damage and be devastating to a single character. But if it's fighting a horde of characters, a lot of units, not so good. Yeah, think a sniper versus a mortar shell, right? There you go. So we've got with the uh, Warlock, you've got a really powerful targeted hit. And as you level up, you can pick multiple targets or really focus them all on one person who you really, really hate. Okay. Um, <laughs> but in general, the Tiefling is, uh, sorry, the Warlock is built out of called targets. I'm equating Tiefling and Warlock right now because I played a Tiefling Warlock, which is Tieflings a race, Warlock's a class. Um, but with people like the Wizard, the Sorcerer, you can just sort of say, everybody over there. Everybody in that half of the room, yeah, they die now. <laughs> and that's something the Warlock has some trouble doing. Okay. Uh, so it, it's an interesting class. We were using it as essentially our primary spellcaster. Our current party at the time was two fighters, a rogue, a druid, and a warlock. Walk into a bar? Yeah, right. You'll <laughs> notice things missing there, like people who can heal. The druid can, but not very well. Not as well as a cleric. Uh, or people who can do large AoEs, that's area of effect again, spells. Mm -hmm. uh, so we've tinkered with that a little bit. I've replaced my Warlock with a Cleric, so I'll be giving a Cleric a, a run mm -hmm. today. We'll see how that goes. 
Uh, I expect good things, so we'll have healing. We won't die as often. Yeah. So you're coming to the good side of the forest from the evil, dark side of the warlock. From a character who quite literally made a deal with the devil to a servant of a god, Mm -hmm. of, of a being of light and love. It's, uh, but it'll be an interesting playthrough to make that sort of swick. I liked the warlock. I look forward to liking the cleric. I'm pretty not so picky when it comes to playing D&D. I like almost every class. I just like playing D&D. Nice. Very cool. Well, I had an opportunity to play Amon Ray. This is a Reiner Knizia game. It's a classic game. Had not had a chance to play this before, so I was really excited when this hit the table. Now, the game itself is a bit on the abstract side. Your your basic player board is going to be separated by the Nile River, and then it's sectioned up into different areas. And what's interesting about this game is it's an it has an area, a large area control aspect to it. So basically you're trying to control areas of the board. And based upon those areas that you control and the either farmers or the pyramids in those areas, you're going to score victory points. Great. Pretty standard. I I understand that, right? Now, here's the kind of fun part of it. There are random cards drawn, and based upon those cards, it's going to tell you which areas come into play and which areas can be controlled. So you pick up a certain card and it says, okay, you place that in that area. Now that area at the end of this little kind of mini round is going to have an opportunity to be bid upon by the different characters, the players in the game. So I'll bid one. Well, it goes around, Daniel bids three, because it goes zero, one, three, five, and so on. All right, now I now he's bumped me. If I have a card, and you get these special cards in the game, maybe I can go back, but typically I can't, so I have to play somewhere else, and that's that might bump someone else, and so forth and so on. So there's that early bidding mechanic to control that area, and then based upon controlling those areas... You'll be able to build farmers, which will score you money in the game. You'll be able to buy bricks, which will be able to turn into pyramids in the game. And then at the end of the round, you'll see how everything scores money-wise. And then at that that final phase, you'll score victory points. There are these two major ages, so you'll score as much as you can in that period. And if that was it as far as the game was concerned... Being able to control those areas, being able to score those victory point cards, be able to play those special cards at certain phases, being able to build pyramids. Ah, that's pretty cool. It's a kind of a decent game. But when it goes into the second age, what happens is everyone takes away their player control, but the pyramids stay. You go through the deck to be able to pull those cards that kind of signify those areas that can be controlled again. But since the pyramids stay it becomes a lot more strategic upon which areas do I want to control because if I control a certain area, I might get those pyramids which will give me majority of pyramids which will score me points or I might have some cards in my hand, some victory point cards that say whoever has the most farmers, whoever has the most pyramids, depending on where the pyramids are on the Nile or off the, the Nile, it'll score me some points. Don't get me wrong, it's an abstract game, even though it has some theme to it. The pyramid pieces are really nice, these little plastic pyramids. The farmers are these little tokens. Because the game is a little bit old, you kind of discount it a little bit, but nonetheless, this is a high quality game. The components are really good. The player interaction is very interesting. I think I came in second place in this game, and it was only because of some of the... It plays well, it's a fun game, it's definitely a play. I don't know if it's a buy just because it plays the same way each age, 
And maybe for me personally, it could use a third age. Even though it seems a little bit odd because you would run out of pyramids and become really stacked and high. But towards the end of the game, people had a lot of money and they were just kind of picking and choosing what they wanted. And because the money was so essential in the game and because so many people had the opportunity to just gain a large group of cash early on, we had one or two players that had that large cash amount and were kind of running away with things at the end. But nonetheless, a great game, a lot of fun to play. Amon Ray by Rainer Knizia. Now you said that there were little special cards. In yes. There. Do those give you so they give you powers or something? They do a number of different things. So the cards in the game can be played at certain phases. So they'll let you skip over a certain area in order to be able to bid again. So like say if you got knocked and I play that card, I can go right back to that area. That card actually worked against me. There are cards that let you block a certain spot in the bidding track so instead of some if i paid one you would have to pay three to go back there but this blocks that so you would have to pay five there are also cards that let you score your farmers that score more points so there are production cards there are there are auction cards and then at the end of the game there are the victory point cards so are there any battle mechanics at all or is it all about bidding it's all about bidding that's really where the battling the interaction comes into play and by building pyramids, there's a kind of a competition on that level. But it's not an area control battle game. It's just an area control whoever has the most type of game. So you could say Amon Ra is all about that bidding, that bidding, that bidding. <laughs> no battle. No battle, exactly. No battle. Nice. Right. <laughs> so uh, a really fun game and something that people should check out. Hey there, kickers. This is Chris from Kicking the Habit. And I just wanted to kick my way into this episode to let you know about our brand new Kickstarter campaign I think you should check out. It's called Epic PvP Fantasy by Luke Peterschmidt. Now, this game is very similar to Smash Up, and it's actually being backed by AEG, the creators of Smash Up. In this game, you're going to be playing a deck of cards that's made up of a race deck and a class deck. You'll be able to choose or randomize what you get in order to kind of smash something together in order to play. Now this is a two-player game, so your deck versus someone else's deck in a versus kind of thing, a player versus player combat. Now the game itself is very simple, not really too much to learn, and it's a good entry-level gateway game for most players. Now the game itself, you're going to start with a number of cards in your hand, and then you're going to take cards from your deck to build an aggression deck in front of you. So you start off with two cards and you have two aggression. Now you look at the cards in your hand and you will be able to play a card value based upon the number of cards in your aggression deck in front of you. So if you have two cards in front of you, you can play a card that requires two aggression. As the game goes on, you'll continuously build that up by two, by two, by two. So that will allow you to play higher level aggression cards, which is great. Now, as that's going on, you're going to be losing cards from your hand. Don't worry, because you can pull cards out of the aggression deck once per turn to edit to your hand and to play those. But when you do that, you lose the opportunity to use those cards for aggression in order to pay for those cards. So this is where the real tactics come in. When do you pull from your aggression deck in order to build up your hand? And when do you let your aggression deck build up so you can play the bigger cards? Now, the cards themselves have some nice graphic design on them because they're going to show you a number of different symbols here. First off, on the top left is going to be the cost and impression that you're going to need to play. 
and the top of in the middle is going to have a shield value. Now the shield value will show if you can block a certain number of attack. On the bottom will be a red star and that will be the attack value of that card. So cards both attack and defend depending on the card itself. So when you play a card, you'll place it out, you'll point the star towards the opponent so they know what they needed to do in order to block that card. If they're not able to match that value and block that card, they lose cards from their life deck. So if it starts at five and they're not able to block two cards, they lose two cards from their life deck and now they're down to three. It doesn't matter how powerful the card was, it's just how many cards actually got its way through. Now the campaign has a number of different stretch goals including a dark elf deck, a samurai deck, a number of different stickers, a special Kickstarter box, and a number of other things that are being added on as time goes on, including a Monk Possible deck. Now, this game looks light, it looks fun, it looks interesting, it's got the right backing to it, it has some stretch goals for tokens. The only problem with this game is going to be the cost of the pledge levels. It has an early bird at $36 and a $36 for worldwide, but there'll be shipping included on top of that. $36 is a lot for this game, but being that it's a Kickstarter, you can kind of understand that they need the support. You can probably get this game later on for a cheaper price, and personally, I always have a problem with those early birds, because clearly, they're basing the value of the game and the eventual MSRP based upon that early bird, and I never feel comfortable with paying an additional $5 in this situation for a game that everyone else is paying $36 for, not to mention the fact that this game is going to be cheaper when it's online. And since the campaign has already backed, uh, I'm not really feeling that strong about backing a campaign when I can't get the early bird already. Now, that's just part of Kickstarter's way of doing things, so I can't really blame the designers for that. And there are some nice and interesting things that are going on here. Now, the one thing here if you're going to back this campaign, you're looking for stretch goals that are unique for Kickstarter. There doesn't seem to be anything explicitly unique, but the Samurai deck which is coming with the game will be sold later at an additional cost or be sent to stores or be available in some other way. So if you don't back this Kickstarter, you will have an opportunity not only just to buy this game, but also to pick up the Samurai deck and possibly the other decks as time goes on. Now, remember, some of these stretch goals are add-ons here too, so it's possible that even if you do back this campaign, you have to pay extra for those additional things. This campaign is really on the edge, I gotta be honest with you. I really want to back this campaign, I like the idea of it, I just don't like the idea of having to pay more than what's really necessary here. So what I'm going to say for you and for me is kick back and wait. Let's see where these stretch goals go, if it's worth it as a Kickstarter backer, or maybe if you're not getting really a lot more than what you would get in the store, hang off for a minute and just wait for a better price. That is Epic P vs. P Fantasy by Luke Peterschmidt. The campaign will be funded on Tuesday, February 24, 2015. So if you're interested, please check it out.
ladies and gentlemen, in this week's featured verses, we bring you two cardboard competitors bent on beating the bits out of each other. Which one will remain supreme? Let's find out. Alright, now for our feature review. Boss Monster, the Brotherwise game that takes you through a dungeon delve in the 8 to slash 16-bit universe. And Munchkin, the Steve Jackson classic game of adventurers dungeon delving, stealing loot, killing monsters, and doing all types of wacky, cartoony type of things. So, to start off, we want to give you a really, really quick explanation about how these games play, just in case there are a few of you out there who have not played those games, and so that we can touch on some elements that we'll refer to later on. We want to explain how the game plays as far as the mechanics are concerned, the feeling we get about the game, and some of the philosophies and cultural references that go into the game. I'm going to start off with Munchkin. Now, Munchkin is part of a whole Munchkin universe, and there is almost an unlimited number of Munchkin worlds. So the basic game, which we're talking about today, is the classic Dungeons & Dragons type of Munchkin. Now, there is also a more up-to-date Munchkin Pathfinder game, which we're not going to talk about today, but it has a lot of similar elements. Now, in Munchkin you are basically going to see two decks of cards. There's going to be the door cards and there's going to be the treasure cards. At the start of the game, you're going to get a number of the cards. Now, the number of the card has changed throughout the years, but typically it's four doors and four treasure cards. You'll go through those cards, and the ones that you can play, you'll play out on a tableau. Now, when I say tableau, I'm meaning that you're going to put cards in front of you that will act as your character. And those cards that act as your character will give you special abilities, will give you opportunities to do interesting and fun things. And also at Munchkin, with those door cards especially, there'll be classes, such as cleric and wizard and fighter. And each of those classes has a special ability. There'll also be races, such as orc, centaur and those will give you a special ability that's unique to those there'll also be certain cheat cards and half breed cards so you'll be able to have a hybrid of a elf and a dwarf that's a cleric or you might have an opportunity to be a elf cleric thief so there's kind of some mixing and some cheating going on because it wouldn't be munchkin if it wasn't cheating so there's a lot of cards that breaks the rules now, there are a lot of cards to this game, and there's almost an endless number with the expansion. So, the base game has a number of cards. The deluxe version comes with a board and has some additional cards. There are miniatures you can get with this game, and there's endless numbers of expansions. I think we're up to about eight, but when I say endless, it's because Munchkin allows you to bring other base sets into this game, plus have the opportunity to bring other expansions. So, you could start with a base game of Munchkin but then put in space characters into in space munchkin or kung fu characters into this game. But once again, we're talking about base munchkin. You have a deck of doors. You have a deck of treasures. You get the cards as the game goes on. So the basic gameplay kind of boils down to this. You kick down the door, which means you flip over one of the door cards. If it's a monster, you gotta fight it. Unless the monster doesn't want to fight you because he's too powerful and it's like, eh, you're a little of a character. I'm going to walk away. On the monster card, you are going to get a certain level. You have to match or exceed the level depending on your character. If you do so, you'll be able to get the treasure that's on the card. So if it says you get two treasure cards, you go to the treasure deck, you flip over those cards, 
those are things that you can use in the game. You'll also be able to sell treasure at a thousand to get a level. And the game is whoever gets to level 10 wins the game. Now, as I said, you can sell cards to give you treasure to go up levels. You'll also have level up cards that move you up. But in order to win the game, you must kill a monster in order to reach level 10. That has to be the way in which you reach the final level. It's a very simple, it's a very quick game. And it should also be noted, as we said earlier, John Kovalik's artwork is funny, it's cute, it's cartoony, and the puns are endless. So if you've ever played Dungeons & Dragons, you will get all of these puns. You'll have a really good time. The jokes are really a lot of kind of inside jokes playing in Dungeons & Dragons and D&D kind of stuff. But there's also some munchkin only type of kind of card so the duck of doom and there's just a lot of fun here there's a lot of outside cultural references so if you haven't played dungeons and dragons and you just look at the artwork you'll have a good laugh you'll have a good time it has something you know current something interesting something fun but it's meant for gamers to play a quick light fast random game all right so i'm gonna walk us through boss monster after that great talk through about munchkin deluxe and and its various sub kinds uh so boss monster in boss monster you are playing as the villain of an 8-bit side-scrolling dungeon crawl that is you're the bad guy in all those video games from the 1980s what you're trying to do is put together a dungeon made out of room cards that will attract heroes of the right kind and the right power we'll talk about that in a second so that you can kill them and take their souls Uh, because again we're the bad guys you can be augmented by various spell cards and the rooms will have certain effects that you can chain together if you're particularly good and that's pretty much what you have to do to win Uh, if you build well once you build your full dungeon you get to level up and that will have a special effect depending on what your boss is made of or what kind of uh, monster you are Uh, but the core mechanic is every turn a new hero appears in town and they go to whoever has the most treasure of the type that they want to gather so there's spell books and bags of gold and swords, etc. Uh, you try to draw them into your dungeon by having the most of that kind, but you don't want them to come in unless you have enough damage to kill them, because otherwise they will hurt you, and if they hit you enough, you die and you lose. So it's important to note there's both a victory and a defeat condition, which is you can win by gathering enough souls or lose by being hit too many times, and if you lose, the other person by default wins, assuming you're playing a two-player game. Boss Monster is a lot of fun. The cards are very cute and very stylized, so it really does look and feel like that old 8-bit. Kind of a classic now around the table. They've got an expansion out, and they've got a PC version coming out soon, apparently, so there's that. Now, both of these games have a lot of similar elements, as I was saying before. So Munchkin, you're building a tableau to build this kind of D&D character, whether they're a warrior or a cleric or, you know, an elf, and they have these kind of wacky weapons and swords... And then when you flip over the the monster deck, you have to fight these monsters and you get treasure. And that's very similar to Boss Monster because Boss Monster, you're doing a very similar thing, which is, as Daniel said, the opposite. You're the bad guy here. So you're a Boss Monster. So you put your Boss Monster as part of your tableau in front of you. And then you're building your tableau with these monster rooms or trap rooms in order to gain strength and be able to knock out the heroes that come into town. So... You could be fighting monsters as the good guy, or you could be fighting heroes as the bad guy. Either way, you're building a tableau, you're attacking somebody (laughs) that's coming through a door, and you're trying to be the person who gains victory. Now, we should also mention some of the interaction that goes into this game too, because they also have a similar interaction feature where you're able to play curses and spells against other characters. 
So if you're playing Munchkin and you see that somebody else at the table is about to knock out this creature and gain all this treasure or maybe the winning level, you can play Curses and you can use special abilities to help the monster or hurt the Munchkin, the other character, in order to stop them from winning. And in Boss Monster, something similar, right Daniel? Yeah, so in Boss Monster there are various spells that can interact and some of your dungeon rooms will have abilities to interact. Though it's important to note, and this is going to start leaning towards our actual comparison of the two, that in Boss Monster these abilities are far more limited than they are in Munchkin Deluxe. Now the expansion improves on that, the Tools of Hero Kind expansion, because Mm -hmm. as you take magical items from the heroes who wander into your dungeon, you can use them against your opponent. But even then, it's more limited than Munchkin. And Munchkin really is a game built on the interaction, whereas Boss Monster is much more build-your-own-engine stuff. Yeah. So as the game goes on, you'll see other players heading toward victory, and that gives you an opportunity to mess with them. So for Boss Monster, you can freeze a, a, one of their rooms in their dungeon, or you can send a dead hero back to the beginning of their dungeon. You know, a lot of things with manipulating um, that tableau that they're using to kind of kick butt. And the same thing with Munchkin, too. You're manipulating that tableau of that character in order to stop them to kind of winning in that way in order to build a really powerful kind of uber-monstrous killer kind of guy. So now let's talk about, you know, we talk about the similarities. What are the differences here? Well, so the one that jumps out to me and the one that really makes the difference in gameplay is that Munchkin is more interactive than Boss Monster is even on its best day. Uh, Munchkin is built to be a game of haha got you uh, <laughs> and it really shows that every other card has some way to just screw with the player mm-hmm. uh, or help them and steal something good from them or get them to pay you for helping them and in fact there's one class that gains levels by helping other people and no yeah. one likes you when you play that or race rather it's the elf yeah we should talk about that too because that's the one little odd oddity there that yeah that's one of the other things we should mention so you're trying to mess up the other characters you're trying to get as much loot but you can negotiate some help. So one other munchkin could help another munchkin or defeating a monster or a situation. But if there's other characters in that game, they can jump on mess both with you at the same time. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're sort of sticking your neck out for them when you do that. Yeah. And hoping no one else can screw with both of you together. And sometimes you'll end up with two players on one side and two players on the other. And both player sides of the table just emptying their hands to see what happens. And you know everyone throws everything into suddenly this room where there was... <laughs> One squid monster has seven squid monsters, a dracolid, you know, everything is on fire, somebody's got balloons in a tuba, and you're just going, what is happening here? Well, that escalated quickly. (laughs) There you go. Uh, Which I find to be quite a lot of fun, but it also gets pretty hectic, and I have seen players, you know, get kind of frustrated, and I think Munchkin... While being the more interactive game, it's interactive in a way that does tend to get some people upset. Yeah. Um, so it does have a lot of that stab your friend in the back type of mechanic, which is, you were doing well, you were playing great, now I'm going to mess with you. And that's a large part of what happens with Munchkin. Usually it happens a little bit later. Sometimes characters are around level 9 and they're about to win the game. And that's when you see all the cards kind of hit the table. And people get a little upset because it can be a little personal when... You know, you hit somebody but not somebody else, and you kind of mess with them, and now they die. And as you were saying, Daniel, one of the things about Boss Monster is if you die in that game, you're done. You're out of the game. But Munchkin, if you die, you get to keep your levels, but you lose all your stuff because everyone else is looting your body. Because that's what friends do? 
Yeah. <laughs> it is interesting. So I was thinking about that. You know, Monkeykin is more interactive in that there's more frequency of interaction. But sure. in Boss Monster, when you do screw with someone, it hurts. Yes. Bad. Right. So you really only have so many hits you can take. And if they do, you know, screw with you at the right moment, they go from a point in your victory pool to a point in your injury pool. And you just went from gaining a point to getting closer to death. Yeah. And that is a pretty severe swing. Whereas in Munchkin, they can throw everything at you. And save for the absolute worst scenarios, you'll usually come out of it still pretty able to fight. Sure. The strategy for Boss Monster and Munchkin are very much alike. In both games, you're going to get a hand of cards, and some of the spell cards and curse cards are either going to save you and take out the opponent, or they're going to block somebody else from winning. So typically, but not always... You kind of wait until they're just about to win the game, or they're facing an opponent that's really going to do some damage, and then you throw all those cards out there. So there's not a lot of strategy. These are kind of a little bit of random games, and they're based upon the cards that you get into your hand, and how everyone else plays a little bit. But they do place very similar on the strategy tactics level there, too. Except for one major difference, I think, which is that since Munchkin is such a crabs pulling each other down as they try to call out the pot sort of situation, is that you don't play the game and you don't play the cards, you play the players. Right? It's very heavily rooted in how good you are at manipulating and shifting around blame in your group. Right? You want to make sure they target other people and not you. You want to make sure you're always on the winning side of the mob attacks. Right? Uh, so that ends up being very important. And if you end up being the unpopular person, if you rush right to level 9 while everyone else is at level 2... And the, the party <laughs> rallies against you, it will be a very difficult climb to level 10. It's true. Uh, and you have to be really good at negotiating things there. Uh, in Boss Monster, there's a lot less of playing the other player. There are effects they can have that can screw with you, as we mentioned. It's just they're not as common, so it's not as much of a governing part of your strategy, I think. Sure. The artwork, too, as we talked about a little bit earlier, Munchkin is that kind of cartoon wacky Saturday morning kind mm-hmm. of take on D&D. Boss Monster has that 8-bit slash kind of 16-bit um, early Nintendo, Sega, PlayStation type of, you know, either trying to fight these legally distinct <laughs> <laughs> monsters from like Metroid and uh, Super Mario and several other type of, you know, classic D&D. So both of them have heroes and monsters that you're going to kind of remember and especially with the boss monster expansion with the tools of hero kind a lot more of that kind of childhood nostalgia comes out because those cards really do have a lot of features and interactions you remember like they have the konami code as one of the cards i'm like i remember that oh that's so cool that's fun so both of them are going to kind of tug on your heartstrings from your early childhood kind of like this is fun this is i really want to play this now that being said these games aren't heavy at all. These are very light games. Anyone could pick them up, which is a good thing. I know my family really likes Munchkin. But once again, they're really light. So once you kind of get past one or two gameplay, there really isn't much that's going to change here. It's going to be very quick. It's going to be very simple. That's a good thing. And yet, as a hardcore gamer, you're probably going to play this once or twice. Maybe you'll come back to his family things. Maybe you'll come back to as a filler personally i really do love the munchkin artwork so 
As a collector, I'm always looking forward to the next pack that's coming out, but it usually doesn't come out at a gaming type of convention or game store because we used to we're used to kind of a heavier mechanic kind of type of game. These are hors d'oeuvres. These are like appetizers. These are these are snacks. These are gaming snacks. That's what they are. <laughs> I'm just gonna go with that. Uh, and you shouldn't expect them to do anything more than that. They play quickly. They move fast. It's fun, it's light, it's easy, it's a good way to move into a night of games or gaming-related activities, uh, but they will not be your mainstay for the evening. So now that we've praised these games quite well and talked about their comparisons and a little bit about their differences, as any good munchkin would do or as any evil boss monster would do, let's bury one of these games. What do you think, Daniel? Bury one of them. Well, I feel bad for this uh, (laughs) because I'm wearing a Boss Monster t-shirt right now. (gasps) One that you gave me and I treasure. However, I think I'm going to have to go with Munchkin being my favorite of these two. And why is that? Uh, It's the interactivity. uh, The fact that I get to throw things at my friends and they get to throw things back. Now, of course, you do have to have a good-humored group of friends. But if they're not good-humored, then you might want to exclude them from your group of friends. If they take Munchkin too seriously, then there's something, you know under the surface there that should be addressed uh and it's just you know it's an active game there's always something that's going to happen as a rule i just assume that somebody at the table has a card that can screw me up the question is whether or not they're going to be willing to use it on me Mm. uh, or whether they're saving it for a bigger score kind of thing Uh, and it's it's just such a more active engaging sort of play because of that whereas boss monster feels kind of scripted and slow and non-interactive. I know there are a few things you can do to mess with one another, but it just doesn't compare to the total melee and chaos that is Munchkin at its finest. Yeah, I like both these games quite a bit. You know, it's kind of hard not to like a game that's so much reminiscent of your childhood, and they play with so many people, and it's very interactive like that. You know, Boss Monster plays pretty much two to four players. Munchkin can play a lot more even though I highly, I highly, highly don't recommend playing with a lot of people at Munchkin because everyone's going to have those mess with you kind of cards and that just kind of lengthens the game. And I think that's one of the major, you know, hits against Munchkin, which is it just plays too long for the type of game that it is. And the only way that you can really deal with that situation would probably be Munchkin Apocalypse. Now that's a different core set, kind of the end of the world type of game. And it's just like Munchkin, but it has a different end condition of the game. If all seven seals come out, the game ends automatically and then you count up the loot. So that kind of gives you a second mechanic to end the game a little quicker. But since we're not talking about that one specifically, Munchkin does have the opportunity to play too long, be too crazy, too random, annoy people (laughs) to no end... Whereas Daniel was saying, Boss Monster is a straightforward game. You're building one tableau. You're building your dungeon. You could have some sort of pride in that dungeon. You could have some sort of pride in your Boss Monster knocking out heroes left and right. But then again, it just does one thing. It does it kind of well. But I think the decision factor for me here is which one has flavor, right? If it's going to be a light game, if it's going to be an entry-level game, a gateway game that brings new people into the gaming kind of sphere, and it's going to be about that fun kind of aspect, whether it's a video game type of look or a Saturday morning kind of comic book cartoon type of look, I want to have a lot of fun. I want to have a lot of inside jokes. I want to have as much 
of that type of fun. You know, can't wait to play. Looking at my my tableau, really admiring all the fun thing that goes on here. It's probably also going to be Munchkin. Just because while Boss Monster does have some great bosses in the game that do remind us of those, once again, legally distinct characters, a lot of the cards are just kind of vanilla. You know, the a lot of the trap cards are just, a, you know, a hole or, you know, uh, some spikes coming down or some generic monster there. And it really doesn't do enough to bring those type of, once again, legally distinct characters from those universes to here. I mean, where is the Mario villains? Where is the more, you know, Legend of Zelda type of characters? They didn't really go far enough. Maybe because they did have to worry about those legal situations. But nonetheless, it needs to be dripping with theme if it doesn't have the mechanics. If it doesn't have the heavy Euro feel to it. I need to have theme up and down on this. And Boss Monster, while it does have some of that... Honestly, it doesn't have enough of it for me to keep going back to it. I mean, I think alone, I love heavy Euros. I'm a heavy Euro type of guy. I'm a three-hour you know, hour game because of the good mechanics. And yet, I buy all the Munchkin stuff because I just love all the inside jokes about our gaming, comic book, social media type of you know industry. It's just a lot of fun. So for me, it's also going to be Munchkin. Yeah. I mean, I think you're right about the theme. They both are very thematic. One thing about Boss Monster is the theme is really only going to be relevant to people who remember playing those kinds of games when they were kids. Whereas Munchkin has a more generally accessible theme because even if you're not a D&D player, you get cards like Large Angry Chicken and that sort of thing or the <laughs> yeah. Duck of Doom and it's just silly. I've multiple times drawn cards in Munchkin and laughed. Yeah. I don't think I've ever done that with Boss Monster. Yeah, I think my, one of my favorite cards is, for Munchkin at least... The Potion of Idiotic Bravery. So you have this little character, which is probably a regular science character, jumping on a nose and waving his fist at this giant kind of monster. And it's that type of humor. It's like, this is crazy. This is fun. Plus, the one thing you don't get with Boss Monster, like you were saying, Daniel, since it's a smaller kind of demographic that played those 8 to 16-bit type of like Legend of Zelda games is Munchkin kind of appeals to a larger group of people. Even if you're not a D&D player... You're going to laugh at a lot of these cards, and the artwork is so dynamic that it really does make a difference. So for us, in the versus, Boss Monster versus Munchkin, Munchkin wins out by a duck of doom to the <laughs> to the Boss Monster game's face. <laughs> uh, Boss Monster spent too much time trying to build its nice little tableau while Munchkin kept throwing horrible things at it. I would, lo- I would love to see a Munchkin trying to go through the Boss Monster dungeon. <laughs> I think it would not be a problem at all. <laughs> Alright, so that's everything for this week. This is Chris. Oh no, not Daniel too. Alright, on behalf of the entire Board Gamers Anonymous crew, myself, Anthony, Daniel, and Drew, we will always save you a seat at the table. Mostly because there seems to be a pocket universe that's sucking our co-hosts in and out of existence. But if you could do me a favor and check out our Twitter, Facebook, Board Gamers Anonymous website, our guild on Board Game Geek, our Patreon page, maybe, just maybe you'll come across one of our co-hosts and you could help them find the way back to the podcast. I mean, you know, it's getting kind of lonely out here. All right, until next time. <laughs>